Welcome to the Institute of Buddhist Studies podcast. The following is part four of Dennis Rota's 2010 Urukoku lecture series entitled Shinran's Phenomenology of Religious Life. Professor Hirota spoke at the Institute in March of 2010 over the course of three days. Please be sure to download this complete series of lectures from our website at podcast.shin-ibs.edu or directly from the iTunes Music Store. Uh, I think we, we have another hour. I'd like to uh, continue uh, this uh, <clears throat> discussion of truth uh, for a bit, and then um, hopefully we can go on to uh, the, some of the material dealing with time uh, towards the end of the hour. So the, uh, the sixth uh, area of general agreement between uh, Shinran and Heidegger, uh, the recognition of truth. Recognition of truth occurs as a fundamental shift or leap in thinking. Uh, Both Shinran and Heidegger seek to delineate a complex structure of awareness to replace an erroneous common sense notion. Uh, Further, they both recognize inescapable discrimination of subject and object in the functioning of human consciousness, even while seeking to dissolve the reification of them. It may be said that in On the Essence of Truth, Heidegger analyzes the structure of awareness near the pole of object, while Shinran locates his focus closer to the pole of subject. Thus, while Heidegger speaks of the untruth that is most proper to the essence of truth, uh, the, the, the sort of hidden dimension um, of, of the appearance of things, uh, Shinran states that the practicer who has realized, uh, in the practicer who has realized Shinjin, blind passions and enlightenment are not two in substance. Uh, Let's see, I guess this is a tai, tai funi, probably. Uh, of course, <clears throat> it is not uh, that these poles are detached or clearly divided, and both thinkers necessarily treat elements of both poles. So they both maintain a kind of subject-object relationship, uh, even, even while they're, they're, they work to, to get beyond it uh, and to... Uh, sort of delineate uh, an area of non-duality. At the same time, however, both thinkers in distinguishing common sense assumptions about truth from the knowledge of truth that they delineate treat the shift from the former to awareness of the latter as a leap, uh, even while human awareness remains finite, situated, and partial. And and I think this... this, um, a constant uh, sense of or insistence on being finite, situated, uh, e- even while they are trying to uh, delineate awareness of the truth. I think that this is really um, the core of what is similar um, uh, in uh, Shinran and Heidegger. A leap. Uh, a leap would seem to be indeed necessary since no thinking confined to the ordinary mode based on assumptions of an autonomous subject could lead to the paradoxical self-awareness they depict. 
The perspective of the conditioned subject in Heidegger is particularly apparent in this concept of erring. As we have seen, according to Heidegger, human beings carry on their lives circumscribed by a horizon that enables things to appear within it in context of meaningful relationships, horizon or world is uh, Heidegger's term. Uh, the inherent pitfall for human beings is to become absorbed in and attached to the things within the world of everyday intelligibility so that they forget about the ungrasped dimensions constituting and grounding this enabling horizon. Heidegger labels such absorption insistence, uh, a standing within one's particular horizon of intelligibility as though it were itself the totality of reality. Uh, he states, man clings to what is readily available and controllable even where ultimate matters are concerned. Humanity replenishes its world on the basis of the latest needs and aims and fills out that world by means of proposing and planning. Uh, from these, man then takes his standards, forgetting being as a whole. Man's flight from the mystery toward what is readily available, onward from one current thing to the next, passing by, passing the mystery by. This is erring. Uh, and uh, we, we see here Heidegger's sense of the inevitable or intrinsic concealment behind the appearance of things um, as really part of the whole, uh, part of beings as a whole. Uh, and uh, man sort of ignoring the hidden part and just paying attention to, to what appears, being totally absorbed in just uh, what, is, what appears and is meaningful um, uh, uh, to him or her. It is not, however, that such erring is to be or can be el eliminated uh, though a kind of, uh, through a kind of sudden elimination, uh, il illumination. I'm sorry. It is not, however, that such erring is to be or can be eliminated through a kind of sudden illumination. Rather, the insistent turning toward what is readily available and the existent turning away from the mystery belong together. They are one and the same. Erring includes both an absorption in the things of the world and the concealing of concealment itself that is necessary for human understanding. Uh, further, humans err. Human beings do not merely stray into errancy, and they are always astray in errancy uh, because as existent they insist and so already stand within errancy. In other words, we, we see the things that appear, we, we, we are concerned with them. Uh, the errancy uh, through which human beings stray is not something that, as it were, extends alongside them like a ditch into which they occasionally stumble. Rather, errancy belongs to the inter inner constitution of the Dasein into which historical human beings are admitted. A Dasein, uh, a German word, ordinary German word meaning existence, but in Heidegger's vocabulary, they're basically referring to, to human existence, uh, a human being. Um, the concealing of concealed beings as a whole holds sway in that di disclosure of specific beings, which, as forgetfulness of concealment, becomes errancy. Forgetfulness of the mystery, then, is an inherent, ineradicable 
element of human awareness. In Shinran, the leap into recognition of the mystery and its role uh, and the role of its concealment is discussed as the falling away of calculation and contrivance, hakarai, with regard to the vow and the realization of Shinjin Buddha mind as genuine and trusting to the vow. Engagement with the Pure Land teaching that seeks to grasp it within the bounds of ordinary delusional thinking is analyzed as self-power, doubt, and calculative thinking, the defining characteristic of which is the ultimate reliance on the judgment and resolve of the reified self. Although an analysis of the processes of ordinary awareness within the domain of everyday life is not a central issue for Shinran, it is clear that doubt and calculation turn on a refusal to recognize the transcendent inconceivability of the working of Amida's vow. Further, according to Shinran, both the falling away of Hakarai and the realization of Shinjin are themselves the working of the Buddha's wisdom compassion. What may be most central here for our comparison with Heidegger is Shinran's assertion that uh, though Hakarai may drop away uh, through no deliberate action or effort of the ego self, which would be self-contradictory, the person's blind passions persist. The conditioned, perspectival, and inevitably attached perceptions of the self remain, but the apprehension of the inconceivable has brought about a fundamental change. Uh, and then the, the, last, uh, the last area of comparison, uh, realization, uh, realization of truth is salvific. Uh, both Shinran and Heidegger appear to depict a fundamental shift in awareness together with an ongoing interaction between modes of awareness. For Shinran, the shift spoken of as Amida's giving the Buddha, Buddha's mind of wisdom compassion so that it becomes the practicers occurs once and for all and is expressed as salvific in religious terms settlement of birth in the Pure Land, attainment of the stage of non-retrogression, and so on. Although the language of a decisive religious event is absent in Heidegger, he speaks clearly of a transformation. Indication of the essential connection between truth as correctness and freedom uproots those preconceptions. That is, that freedom is a property of human beings. Granted, of course, that we are prepared for a transformation of thinking. And so there are these, these, uh, the sense of uprooting of uh, preconceptions and a transformation of thinking uh, occurring. Uh, this is uh, Heidegger's sense of overcoming our sort of normal, uh, everyday forgetfulness. Uh, further, in other writings, Heidegger speaks of the shift in terms of an astonishment at the mystery uh, that is perhaps open to comparison with the gratitude that Shinran emphasizes as a response of the person of Shinjin. And this is uh, Heidegger, uh, Heidegger's quotation here. A step into the intimation of the wonder that around us a world world, that there is something rather than nothing, that there are things and we ourselves are in their midst. And, and this, this sense that um, there is something rather than nothing, that, that there, there is a world, that, that we do 
this see things, perceive things, interact with things. That th this is what Heidegger is trying to to deal with and to uh, to delve into past our own common sense and uh, sort of ordinary uh, awareness uh, and to 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 um, try to understand that uh, philosophically. But for him, it is a mystery. Of greater significance, however, is the interaction between that which is true and real and its other or opposite. Uh, for it is this interaction that unfolds as genuine human awareness. Heidegger states that the full essence of truth, including its most proper non-essence, keeps Dasein in need of this perpetual turning to and fro in the opposition and interaction of errancy and mystery. Uh, by leading them astray, errancy dominates human beings through and through. But as leading astray, errancy at the same time contributes to the possibility that humans are capable of drawing up from their existence. The possibility that by experiencing errancy itself and by not mistaking the mystery of Dasein, they not let themselves be led astray. And so something of the errancy in, in human perception uh, becoming uh, apparent somehow. Uh, the errancy as absorption in beings and the concealment of concealment cannot be eliminated from human cognition, but by experiencing errancy itself, one may become aware of the rule of mystery at work in awareness itself. For Shinran, the falling away of self-power leaves one's blind passions exposed to the wisdom that is other power, which becomes one's own Shinjin. In the ongoing interaction between the blind passions that color one's perceptions and the otherness of Buddha wisdom in one, one's awareness may undergo a gradual transformation. Heidegger, near the close of his essay, speaks of a transformed awareness, uh, philosophizing, he says, or the thinking of being, which he describes as an antidote uh, to immersion in forgetfulness. Philosophical thinking is gentle releasement, um, and he uses the term Gelassenheit, which he again takes up late in, in his uh, career, um, that does not renounce the concealment of beings as a whole. Um, philosophical thinking is especially the stern and resolute openness that does not disrupt the concealing but entreats its broken essence into the open region of understanding and thus into its own truth now, this self-aware thinking which does not disrupt the concealing of mystery or being is transformative a thinking which, instead of furnishing representations and concepts, experience and tries itself as a transformation of its relatedness to being. Um, so this, um, in, in this, uh, the short essay that we've been looking at at Heidegger. Uh, I think uh, we, we can uh, skip the next section. Um, so this, this will be... Um, the conclusion of um, this particular discussion of, uh, of a comparison with Heidegger. Uh, tomorrow I, I will take up um, a, uh, another uh, work of, of Heidegger late, later uh, in his career. But I, I think, um, or I, I hope that um, we see 
we can see in looking at Jinran through um, through Heidegger's thinking here, uh, certain similarities that might open up a, a different kind of language or way of thinking about a realization of Shinjin or what, what Shinjin is or what, say, faith in, in Shin Buddhist, Buddhist tradition or in Jinran's thought might mean uh, as, as something uh, much more uh, dynamic or perhaps even uh, uh, dialectical um, and, and something that uh, while it uh, turns on a, a dichotomy of subject and object uh, at the same time uh, overcomes it. I, I think that that, that is a, an important element uh, in Shinran's thinking and one that tends to be overlooked in common notions uh, about faith. Uh, the, the, the theme for uh, today will we'll go on. And as I said, the, the consideration of truth is uh, given as a kind of example of a possibility of um, comparison, perhaps opening up themes in Shinran that have not traditionally been, been dealt with uh, much, but but may be helpful for us and helpful for, for us in, in the States in, in developing uh, a, a, a kind of language, a kind of understanding um, uh, that uh, reflects uh, Shinran's uh, Buddhist path. Uh, one other uh, example that I would like to take up is, is the topic of time. Uh, and uh, I would like to, to turn to that today. Uh, I have put, put together some uh, materials. It, it's sort of a do-it-yourself kit uh, since uh, I haven't um, actually prepared a, a text for, for a lecture. Um, but uh, it's materials that, that deal um, with the theme of time or temporality. Um, and and basically they they um, they focus on Shinran. There, there's um, there's also a, a passage from uh, Augustine early in Christian tradition, um, which I which I think is interesting to look at uh, together with Shinran. Um, but uh, this this theme of temporality or time uh, would be another example of basically a a neglected theme in Shinran that, that may be elucidated, I think, through, through a comparative uh, perspective. Uh, my suggestion is that time, like truth, rather than uh, being merely neglected, is overlooked because it, basically it's taken for granted that, that we, we have our common sense notions uh, and uh, basically we, we plug them uh, into our reading and our study of, of Shin, uh, Shinshu or Shinran's text. It is assumed that we understand Shinran's words with the conceptual uh, equipment with which we normally operate in our daily lives. Uh, we know what truth is or what time is or what faith is uh, and basically we, we just uh, apply it to, to Shinran's text and, and understand his text through those kinds of lenses. Uh, this kind of imposition results in a one-dimensional, uh, a kind of truncated version of Shin, I think, which, among other things, severs uh, the Shin path from its roots in Mahayana uh, Buddhist thought. Um, and this, this separation, it's interesting, I think, uh, 
uh, of uh, Shin from Mahayana Buddhism. I think uh, on the one hand, uh, it's partly what accounts for uh, the marginalization of uh, Shinran and Shin, Shin tradition uh, in uh, Western uh, Buddhist studies. Uh, I think very, very recently there have been other kinds of studies, Shinran and uh, historical perspective or Shin tradition and historical or sociological perspective. But I don't think he's uh, been treated much seriously uh, as a Buddhist thinker. Uh, and I think this persists. Um, but at the same time, uh, there, there is a criticism of efforts by Shin scholars to delineate um, the, the Mahayana roots of, of Shinshu. Um, and uh, there's an insistence that uh, to make the claims that uh, Shinshu is really a, a what a, a central uh, form of Mahayana Buddhism, that this kind of assertion is really a, a, a kind of uh, modern apologetics, um, that it's something cooked up recently by uh, Shin scholars uh, in order to uh, to to make Shin seem legitimate somehow, um, and that really uh, the essence of Shinshu uh, should be viewed as this sort of uh, religion for medieval peasants, um, and and so on. Uh, I think we looked at some of this in the first hour, um, but this um, persists. And one one form of it has to do with the view that that Shin uh, tradition. Uh, can form a uh, bridge, and th this is this this is the term used. A bridge uh, in uh, the dialogue between uh, uh, Christianity and Mahayana Buddhism. Uh, in other words, uh, it's sort of a, a kind of a halfway um, a, a place uh, that, and that um, can facilitate the, the uh, dialogue uh, between. Um, between Christians and Mahayana Buddhists, like Zen Buddhists or Tibetan Buddhists, perhaps, um, but that it, it itself is not uh, squarely within Mahayana tradition, uh, and that uh, to insist uh, that it is a, a form of Mahayana is a kind of elitism, um, and that it ignores what is truly um, valuable about Shin, and, and that is that Shin can function as this kind of bridge. Uh, that, that kind of argument is uh, made um, e even uh, recently in, in print. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I think um, there, there's a danger in, in traditional uh, Shin doctrinal studies uh, also. Uh, uh, the danger of, of severing uh, Shin from, from Mahayana modes of thought. Um, and, and I think uh, there, there, there is, of course, the, the, the language, the terminology, the grammar of the, of the traditional uh, teaching, uh, and its sort of enclosure um, that, that I think uh, also it may tend to fall into um, this kind of severing of uh, Shin from from Mahayana proper, uh, and it's something also that uh, that I think a comparative study might be help work toward overcoming. Uh, the temporality or time, I think, is a very important topic in, in Shinran, and I think it's something uh, perhaps that uh, even distinguishes uh, 
Shinran from uh, some of his contemporaries. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, we, we have seen it, uh, for example, uh, in uh, the text from uh, Tanisho, the second chapter uh, that, that we uh, looked at uh, last week. Uh, temporality is a major theme in Chinran's thought, one that in its prominence as well as in the interpretation given it, again, distinguishes him uh, from his master and from the preceding Pure Land tradition. Uh, I think uh, there are two critical aspects of time find expression in, in the Tanisho uh, passage uh, that we have considered. Uh, and I, I've just sort of run through these briefly just to, to give an indication of uh, some of the ways in which uh, Shinran talks about time. Uh, first, Shinran speaks of entrusting himself to Amita's vow through receiving Honen's teaching. As he explains repeatedly elsewhere, he understands such an encounter to be taught uh, in the larger sutra when Chakamuni Buddha uh, speaks of beings hearing Amita's name. Uh, the sutra passage employs the term Ichinen, uh, which Honen had interpreted to mean saying the Nembutsu, but which Shinran breaks with tradition to interpret as expressing the temporal quality of hearing. Uh, Ichinen, and this is uh, the quotation from Shinran, Ichinen, one thought moment uh, is time at its ultimate limit uh, where the realization of Shinjin takes place. Time at, at its ultimate limit indicates both the shortest instant of time and the interruption of ordinary temporality. Uh, I, I think it has both both of these meanings, this, this time and its uh, fullness or uh, uh, short, shortest instant. Uh, and it is possible to see Shinran's understanding as reflecting the holistic character of his apprehension of religious life. Uh, and th this is something that I hadn't uh, discussed, uh, this whole, whole holism, this, this sense of a, a radical shift from one mode of existence to one mode of perception to another, a number, another mode, I think. Um, I, I would like to characterize this holistic. Since there is no process a person can initiate in time to bring about entry into li the life of Shinjin, uh, its arising may be said to emerge abruptly in the briefest one-thought moment. Uh, further, in explicating the sutra's term one-thought moment, or Ichinen, and again, Honen had in general understood this to mean one utterance of the Nembutsu, one voicing. Um, Shinran speaks not only of the ultimate brevity of the instant in which the true cause of one's birth in the fulfilled land becomes definitely settled through the hearing of the power of the vow. This is in uh, Kyogyo Shomondri in the chapter on practice. Not only the ultimate brevity, which he repeats there, but the ultimate brevity of the instant of the, well, he also speaks of the ultimate brevity of the instant of the realization of Shinjin in the chapter on Shinjin. Uh, but in addition, he speaks of the ultimate brevity and expansion of the length of time in which one attains the mind and practice, that is the Shinjin and Nembutsu, that result in birth in the Pure Land. So there is both the, the contraction and the expansion of time. Um, this is, I think, a, a very uh, important temporal um, sort of concept um, 
uh, that Shinran uh, tends to repeat in his writings. This last expression, the brevity and expansion, occurs in passages on the Pure Land Way. Uh, this, the time of realizing Shinjin is not merely momentary, an instant removed uh, from the ordinary passage of time, but involves the generation of new temporality uh, that emerges inseparably from that moment. Uh, so uh, the, the contraction into the one thought moment in which uh, Amida gives his mind, his wisdom, compassion as the realization of Shinjin that moment also expanding um, and, uh, and, and being, becoming simultaneous with, with um, the, the moments of our life. This temporalization of expansion also finds expression uh, in the Tanisho passage under consideration, Tanisho uh, number two. In explaining his own sense, and I, I will discuss uh, Tanisho, uh, the second chapter, uh, briefly. In explaining his own stance to his disciples, Shinran discusses his religious existence in terms of absence of regret. Even in the instance that I have been deceived by Master Honen and by doing the Nembutsu and the plunging into hell, I will have no regrets at all. So regret here very very strongly emphasized and this being his explanation of of his encounter with Hon and his um, his realization of Shinjin uh, I will have no regrets at all uh, regret in itself involves a temporal awareness uh, in other words it's, it's often uh, sort of glossed over uh, when Jinran says, I have no idea uh, whether I will go to the Pure Land by saying the Nembutsu or, or whether I fall in, into hell. And again, uh, I think there's a strong tendency uh, for people not to uh, want to take this literally that Jinran doesn't know. Um, and, and sure, Jinran is certain about being born in the Pure Land and so on. Uh, however, I, I think there's an important dimension of this absence of regret um, uh, that that needs to be explored and taken seriously. Uh, regret in itself involves a temporal awareness. It may be viewed as a kind of a projection, a kind of projection of feeling in which one finds that one's present state is less than one, what one had had the power in the past to achieve or become. It is a clinging to an assumed potential that lies wholly in one's past, the neglect of which now informs one's present. For the person in regret, it is adhering to that supposed past potential that most decisively colors one's perceptions of one's present life so that one's full existence is temporally displaced, displaced into a past that has never come to fulfillment. Similarly, to say that one will have no regrets in the future normally means that one is exerting all one's powers in the present in expectation of some fulfillment to come. In other words, we say, well, we won't have any regrets because we're working really hard right now and so we're, we're sure to, to reach some sort of fulfillment and um, 
When Chinran, however, states that he will, will have no regrets in the future, he is rooting himself in the present and expressing his relinquishment of attachment to any capacity as agent, whether it lie in the past, present, or future. Regardless of what his future may be, he can have no regrets. There is nothing in the, pa in the past existence of the ego self to which he can cling in the present, and nothing of his present capabilities on which to base hopes for a f different future. Shinran's awareness is such that he perceives the self's existence in its finitude, bound about by false discriminative awareness and incapacity. Here, Shinran's existence condenses into a single moment bereft of differentiation. Calculative thinking falls away and the sameness of karmic bondage comes to light. At that moment, in that moment, however, Shinran also discovers himself within the temporal flow of the action of other power from the past, so that if Amida's vow is true and real, my words cannot be empty. On the one hand, desires are countless and anger, wrath, jealousy, and envy are overwhelming, arising without pause. To the very last moment of life, they do not cease. One lives out one's karmic acts of the past that inform one's present and future existence. On the other hand, the person of Shinjin dwells in the stage of the truly settled, so that birth in the Pure Land at the time of death is completely settled and constantly practices great compassion. That's from the chapter on Shinjin. The realization and acceptance of finitude, uh, which can occur only by standing fully uh, within it in the present, leads to an altered, doubled temporality in which the future it's hell, or as the functioning of enlightened wisdom, compassion. This doubled future pervades and transforms the past and the present. Amida Buddha and his vow may in fact be said to signify precisely this dynamic transformative temporality. For the practicer, time ceases to be an abstract fleeting instant in the flow of time and becomes the lived time of conditioned awareness. So I think this is a temporal dimension uh, of the uh, realization of Shinjin. Uh, The the, uh, the the first part of the handout is is essentially um, the, the kind of discussion of, of, of this um, aspect of temporality. I think uh, I will um, uh, skip it for the present, except that uh, may, I, I, perhaps I, I should point out um, one thing on page 181, uh, the beginning of the second uh, paragraph. Uh, the present that we ordinarily experience is no more than a fleeting instant, a barely perceptible point at which the path, past extends itself into the future or the promise of the future fades and turns into the past. Uh, I think uh, this, this is a sort of uh, a, a common sense notion of time. Uh, uh, later on, I speak of it as, as uh, objective time. Uh, uh, and this forms a, a kind of contrast to, to the lived 
uh, sort of uh, experienced time, uh, the time of uh, the realization of, of Shinjin. Uh, and and this, this contrast also uh, is something that is very common in, in uh, certain trends in uh, philosophy, uh, phenomenology. Uh, time, a very important uh, topic for, for these uh, for philosophers of phenomenology uh, and an attempt to get at um, uh, how we uh, genuinely experience time. So in, in this, the, the first, uh, the first uh, handout uh, from uh, Jinran, an introduction to his thought, ba basically a, a kind of explanation of, of this sort of double vision um, where uh, the past uh, is, is both the past of karmic evil of, of the practitioner and also the past uh, in which uh, the vow of Amida was fulfilled. Uh, eons ago, uh, the future, uh, Shinran speaks of his uh, falling into hell, uh, and at the same time uh, being uh, settled in the stage of non-retrogression and uh, uh, being uh, truly settled uh, so that one will uh, be born in the Pure Land in the future. And, and the present, uh, the, the simultaneity uh, or our own ongoing karmic existence uh, pervaded by uh, uh, the working of Amida's wisdom, compassion. Uh, so I think this temporality uh, is extremely important for Shinran and, and perhaps uh, the exploration of it is uh, something that has uh, not been uh, uh, treated uh, in uh, treated much in the traditional scholarship. Uh, the, the second handout, uh, I, what I wanted to look at here is just a, a passage from uh, Nishida. And, and again, um, on page uh, 237, this is page three of the, of the handout materials, page three of the handout materials. Uh, and uh, on uh, the right side, uh, page three at the bottom, uh, there is an indented quotation from uh, Nishida Kitaro. Uh, and here, uh, Nishida talks in, in very personal terms about his own experience, and, and he, he makes reference to uh, the past Tanisho. But I think it's a... Uh, a, a a, a very uh, powerful and insightful uh, treatment of this topic of regret um, that occurs in the Tanisho passage. And so I, I would like to read through it uh, just uh, briefly. This, this is from a, a preface that uh, Nishida wrote um, for a friend, uh, a scholar of uh, Japanese literature. 
Uh, so it, it's a preface of, of this study of Japanese literature. Um, but it, it, it is, as I say, a very uh, personal statement, especially towards the end. And the reason is uh, that uh, Nishida uh, uh, re uh, experienced repeatedly uh, the loss of children, um, uh, children who died, his own children who died very young. Uh, and his friend also had the same experience, so he makes reference to that. Uh, Nishida's uh, words, uh, any person in the event, uh, in the face of an event like the death of one's child is surely assailed by all manner of confusion. Though to no purpose, the heart is tormented by futile thoughts of regret that one should have done this or that. Yet there is no recourse but to resign oneself to destiny. Destiny works not only from without, it also works from within. Behind our faults, an inconceivable power seems to be in control, and thoughts of regret arise because we trusted too much in the powers of the self. In such cases, when we come to know deeply our own powerlessness and abandoning the self, take refuge in that immense power, the thoughts of regret are transformed becoming thoughts of repentance. The heart, as though laying down a heavy burden, itself finds salvation, and further, one becomes able to ask forgiveness of the dead. One is able to discern traces of the precious conviction expressed in Tanisha. And then he goes on to, to quote, uh, and then at the end, and one is able to touch boundless new life. Um, so I think... Uh, I think this uh, it, this kind of uh, lament uh, is is also uh, should be uh, read read into the Tanisho passage. Uh, I think uh, 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 and and the importance of of the sense of regret and regret as really very strongly uh, temporal and the sense of entering into a new time, a new sort of mode of existence. Um, and at the end, uh, when uh, Nishida speaks of the uh, ability to touch boundless new life, uh, I think um, there, there is a kind of expression of uh, the entrance into um, a, a new mode of time, a new mode of temporal existence um, uh, that uh, Shinran also expresses uh, in, in Tanisho. Uh, and also, I think in this passage, there is a, a, the contrast between our ordinary sense of, of time, of temporality, uh, and, and the transformed, uh, the transformed sense of temporality. Uh, in, in Nishida's uh, words, also we, we find this uh, kind of contrast, uh, the contrast between a, a common sense view and a transformed view. Um, and as I mentioned, this is a frequent theme in, uh, in phenomenology. Uh, uh, <clears throat> it's a very, the, the theme of temporality is very important uh, to Heidegger and, and in uh, other uh, philosophers strongly influenced by Heidegger. Uh, so uh, the, the comparison I, I would like to draw uh, is uh, there. Uh, but uh, both, uh, well, Heidegger and also later 
uh, philosophers like uh, Paul Ricoeur uh, in his uh, time and narrative, a much more recent work, um, but with, with the same concerns about time. Uh, their point of reference uh, when they look back in Western uh, tradition or in Christian uh, theological th tradition, um, they both look back to uh, Augustine. Uh, and uh, so I've included a, a, a short passage uh, from uh, Augustine's Confessions where he deals uh, with time. Uh, and uh, I do this for, for two reasons, partly because he's also concerned with, uh, the, with the problems of um, our ordinary sense of time, uh, our ordinary understanding of time, uh, and, and because he makes uh, some very suggestive uh, uh, remarks about uh, his own understanding of time, suggestive and very influential in the later tradition, influential on Heidegger, uh, on record, and so on. Uh, he begins, uh, Augustine begins, and this would be on page five, again on, on the right-hand side. I'd like to just look at this briefly because I think um, parallels uh, may be drawn to pure land thought, um, raising the problem of temporality in a way that, again, is not uh, commonly done in, in, in the uh, scholastic tradition. Uh, uh, Augustine uh, raises the question in, in paragraph number 14 uh, about time. Um, and and uh, it's very interesting to see that this kind of question arose very early since uh, Augustine is writing the uh, early 5th century. But he raises the question of uh, uh, what God was doing before he made heaven and earth. And the, the first, uh, his first topic is the creation, but then... Uh, this question arises: What 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 was God doing? Um, and it's very interesting. He first uh, sort of quotes a, a joke, a, apparently a, a common joke about this: um, what God was doing. And and, uh, and the the answer is, you know, God spent his time getting hell ready for those who pry into serious matters, um, who who ask impertinent questions. And this probably the the Christian preacher's way of. Of of um, of, uh, of solving uh, this this problem, but Heidegger persists. Uh, Augustine persists uh, in in the question, trying to understand uh, um, how how this should be answered. What what was God doing before He created heaven and earth, um, and then the creation, of course, keystone in, in the Christian vision of the cosmos. And, and his answer is that um, this is indeed uh, an impertinent question uh, because uh, time uh, is part of the creation. In other words, uh, time came into existence uh, with the creation of heaven and earth. Uh, before the creation, uh, there is no time. Uh, there's, it is not as though there's, there's this uh, infinitely long uh, flow of time, which is our common sense vision, and at a certain time, uh, God create, created heaven and earth, um, and at a certain time, heaven and earth will uh, destruct. Uh, that that isn't the kind of uh, framework in which to to understand the creation. Uh, and essentially, is drawing a distinction uh, between a God as eternal, the eternity of God, and 
um, the creation is temporal. Uh, when when God created heaven and earth, uh, then time was, was essentially created as part of the creation. Uh, so so this question really doesn't doesn't make sense. It's not it's not a simple paradox. Uh, uh, it's it's an inappropriate question. Uh, but then the next question is well then what what is time? Uh, and here it gets interesting. And uh, on page six again on on the the right hand side he pursues this. Uh, we all know what time is. Time is part of our ordinary existence. We're always talking about time. We talk about time uh, to each other, and we, we always understand uh, each other. We, we don't have any difficulty with this. It's very familiar. Uh, yeah, we all know what time is. Um, and yet, uh, when we think about it, uh, it's really hard to sort of put your finger on what time is. Um, we think of time uh, as uh, the past, present, future, um, but um, what, what is, uh, well, as he says in the middle of um, uh, the right side of page six, uh, uh, if nothing were passing away, there would be no pastime. Uh, and if nothing uh, were, were still coming, uh, there would be no future time. And if nothing were passing away, uh, there would be no present time. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, the, the past, when we think about it, the, the past is what no longer exists. The past is no longer. And so the past doesn't exist. Uh, it, that's that's what we mean by the past, and the future is not yet, um, so the future also doesn't exist, uh, and and the present, as he says, uh, the, the present, if it were not passing away, it would not be the present, uh, but the eternal. Um, uh, the present is only time because it is passing away. So we can't fix the present, and we get here uh, the sort of objectified sense of. A sort of cosmological time uh, in which uh, there, there is, uh, we think of time as only a long series, a series of now instants, instants that have no uh, duration uh, because uh, it, it's simply um, the passing away of time. Uh, so if we, if we try to to imagine to understand what time is and, and we think within our sort of normal framework, um, then we, we cannot really locate time. Uh, time, uh, we always speak about it, uh, we instinctively understand it, um, and yet when we go to sort of point to it, uh, to, to uh, express it directly, uh, then, then we cannot uh, find uh, what, what we are talking about. Uh, and, and this is uh, um, the part of the paradox of our ordinary sense of time. But still, uh, that, that sense of time, cosmological time, time as this long series, infinite series of uh, now instants, uh, that, that remains our, our sort of common sense um, vision. I think even, even now for us, um, that, that's our, our common sense uh, notion of what time is. Uh, Augustine uh, goes on, uh, he raises an, a number of questions uh, partway through uh, his, his, his treatment uh, of time. Uh, uh, he comes to uh, uh, 
is some, uh, one, one conclusion. And this is on page eight, uh, paragraph 26. And it, it is essentially a, a, the beginning of a delineation of uh, another uh, sense of time. Uh, in, in paragraph 26, uh, page eight of the handout, uh, <clears throat> Uh, we cannot properly say uh, that the future or the past exist, right? And then for the reasons I said, the, the future by definition does not yet exist. The past by definition has already passed in, passed away. It's no longer present. Uh, uh, we, and we cannot say that there are three times past, present, and future. Well, that seems to be the paradox. We always talk about these. They're built into our language. Uh, and yet we, we can't fix them anywhere. Perhaps we can say that there are three tenses, uh, but that they are uh, the present of the past, the present of the present, and the present of the future. And is, this is a part of uh, Augustine's uh, solution, uh, that uh, where does the past, it exists in the present, and the future exists in the present, uh, and the present exists in the present, but they, they exist in a particular way. They exist uh, within our awareness. Uh, and the third line from the bottom, uh, the past is present to memory, the present is present to observation or attention, and the future is present to anticipation. So uh, in, in our minds, uh, in, in memory of what has been and now is passed uh, away uh, in expectation of uh, what uh, is to come uh, in our attention to, to the present instant moment, uh, then the, the time uh, exists. Um, time, time can be placed there. Uh, uh, what um, uh, What is interesting here, I think, uh, <clears throat> uh, is uh, is a kind of uh, a, uh, relationship between uh, between this this sort of extension or flow of time uh, and uh, and the instant of the present. Uh, in which the three times are said to be uh, present. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this is uh, summarized uh, somewhat in, in uh, the next uh, part of the handout on, on page 10, uh, beginning on the left side at the bottom of the page. Uh, page 10, uh, five lines from the bottom. Um, he says that is uh, the point like present without extension comes to hold past, present, and future uh, through the distension of the mind, which is stre uh, stretched by uh, separate intentions of expectation, attention, and memory. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is the term that, uh, that Augustine uses, uh, distension uh, and intention. Um, as, uh, as sort of the, the working of the mind. Um, and uh, although there are separate intentions here of memory and uh, attention and, and uh, expectation uh, for past, present, and future, uh, in some sense, the, the, there's a unifying 
uh, in the in the intention. Um, so the mind distends, intends. It's kind of a, a dialectic or uh, attention a, a, a between these, uh, and and time uh, or temporality uh, seems to have its existence here. Um, this this problem is discussed in detail in uh, uh, the work of Paul Ricoeur uh, in his um, three-volume work, Time and Narrative, especially at the beginning where he is setting forth his basic uh, thesis. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just re read a bit at the top of uh, uh, page uh, 129 in, in the handout. Uh, this is uh, page 10 in the handout, uh, 129 on the, on the right side from the very top. What is of particular interest to record here uh, is the dialectic between distension and intention. Uh, when intention comes to be identified with the fusion of the inner man, uh, with God, that is, with eternity. Eternity, according to Augustine, stands in contrast with time, just as stillness stands in contrast you know, with the movement of the human mind. Uh, the mind of God does not move, and therefore is not characterized by time. Uh, the dialectic arises because one may, forgetting what lies in the past, and undistract, undistracted by other aims and expectation, look to an eternal goal. And that the sort of um, the the core sort of intention, but intention um, as as a kind of unifying um, aim. Uh, I, I, I think there, there's something. Uh, I, I, earlier, I quoted uh, Shinran as, uh, in in terms of uh, the the one thought moment of Shinjin uh, uh, holding both uh, the brevity and expansion. Uh, and I cannot help uh, thinking that, that, that there is uh, some sort of uh, analog uh, at work, some sort of uh, a similarity in thinking uh, uh, in, in, in uh, uh, these two figures, uh, Augustine's uh, setting forth um, uh, a, a kind of subjective time. And this is the contrast that stands uh, together with uh, objective time. The subjective time is a time that we, we experience, that we live in, in our experience. In other words, uh, we live uh, sort of bearing uh, our past and, and, and our future uh, in, in the present. We live with expectations. Uh, we live uh, with memories of, of our past and so on. Uh, so uh, opposed to uh, and resolving some of the, the contradictions and, and paradoxes of a sort of an ordinary common sense a notion of time. Um, there, there is uh, this uh, time as experienced. And I think uh, this is something that uh, we find in, in Augustine here, at the, uh, sort of early in tr Christian tradition, but, but also in Shinran, in Shinran's uh, treatment of temporality. Uh, this is an aspect, again, that, that is not often dealt with uh, in the traditional scholarship, uh, but I think in, in looking at it in, in a sort of comparative light, you can see that, that there's something uh, uh, very important uh, to Shinran uh, in, in his uh, expressions. I'm afraid I, I've run through, uh, through, through uh, the period for comments, but I think there are a few minutes left.